On today's episode of A Story and a Chat, we'll be exploring why understanding and accepting diversity is important at work and home, and how getting comfortable with being uncomfortable can lead to positive change. Going to be a good one, so settle in and happy listening. everyone and welcome to a story and a chat the podcast where you will hear mine and other perspectives on topics that are important to all of us i am your host aisha iqbal and i wholeheartedly believe that conversations can bring people together in the most beautiful ways i've created the space to do just that and i'm really excited to share this next perspective with you today so let's get started shall we You are scary. My instant reaction was to laugh out loud when I heard her say that, and then naturally responded back with, I am not scary. She insisted that it was my title and not me personally that made me scary, to which I lightly scoffed and replied, these young people nowadays don't give a shit about titles. I was having a discussion with the head of HR at my place of employment, and she was advising me on an incident where I was essentially caught in the middle of a rather annoying bout of office politics. I think you should pull her aside, go out for a coffee or something, and explain the situation to help her feel comfortable. An apology could really go a long way. This was the advice that was being offered to me. I must admit, then my ego kicked in pretty hard when she said that to me. But at the same time, I believed so strongly that I was being singled out unfairly. Listen, I appreciate your advice here, but perhaps the right move is to give her appropriate guidance on conflict resolution with senior management. If this is the reason why she's ignoring me when I'm saying good morning to her in the hallway, then it's pretty clear that she could benefit from this type of counsel. As I said before, I'm not apologizing to her because the decision to get her involved was not mine and I refuse to be the messenger who gets shot. Shortly after making this remark, I stood up, thanked her for guidance and support, left the room and walked back to my office, trying to keep my anger at bay. What this conversation triggered in me was the feeling that my firm demeanor was seen as aggression, something that I'd encountered many times in my personal and professional life, from being told to smile more by strange men on the street, to being told by male managers that I need to lighten up my presentations with some humor. It seemed as if I was a quintessential angry brown woman. Now hearing that I'm scary from a female made me unwillingly think about the notion that women of color are frequently seen as being more aggressive or less feminine than their white counterparts, thus adding yet another perceived layer of oppression for me in the workplace. Today, I'll be speaking with Randy Bryant about what diversity and inclusion truly means and why it's important in all aspects of our lives, in and out of work. She is a diversity and inclusion strategist, a badass author, speaker, and disruptor. She is an empowered Black woman who is out here spearheading real change. I reached out to Randy after having the absolute pleasure of experiencing just two minutes of her vibrant energy at a conference earlier this year. After doing some creeping on her social profiles, I learned that she's the exact person I wanted to have a chat with to get a perspective on how we can start becoming more connected as humans, despite all of our differences. So, Randy, is diversity and inclusivity just for Black people? No, 
<laughs> it's for every single person, right? We all want to feel as if we belong. We all want to feel as if we're included. We all have been in situations where we don't. And I tell people I speak about it from the perspective of a black woman because that's what I am. And it would not be authentic for me to say, this is how it is as a transgender person. You know, this is right. not authentic. So I can only give my experience, but how I feel about someone loving themselves. Because, you know, it starts, honestly, the whole diversity and inclusivity starts with self. Right. Right. And so I say, you know, it's about loving yourself first and then having an environment that nurtures that so you can bring your best selves to the table. But that's across everything and everybody. Mm -hmm. But it's not, it's funny, I wrote a book called Never Says, and I was around the country touring, and I would speak to groups, and a lot of times the groups were outwardly very monocultural. So I'd be in a group with a bunch of black women, or I'd be in a group with a bunch of gay men. I mean, I, I could tell you just amazing stories. And every single group would say, I am so happy you wrote this book because they, and I would always have to have this thing like, no, all of us have work to do. All of us, you know, need to grow and learn and do better. So no, it's not a black thing. It's a people thing. Do I think that there are more challenging issues in certain communities, I do, just because I don't want to ignore the history that is in America. And are there different dynamics between different groups? Those are the conversations that we need to have. So I think, for instance, being a gay man is different than being a, a gay black man because the black community is not as open, right? Right. What it, it means to be gay going to Thailand, I, I like to travel a lot. So what gay means and how it's treated in Thailand and versus Brazil versus South Africa versus whatever is different, right? And right. so there's different issues. And so we have to be real about what does the construct of that place mean to that specific identity group? Right. I like that you said that it starts with the self. Right, yeah. because it's the most grounded thing that we can begin from. Yes. It's, it's the most real and the most true that we can come from. But as we start from the self, and as you've described that being X while being Y and Z makes it a different experience. So yeah. you said being gay is different when you are a gay black man. And so I see it as the layering of experiences kind of adding more complexity. Right. And then you put the backdrop of culturally, right? Gay here in the US means gay differently in Greece, means differently in Brazil, things like that. But what stays the same is that feeling of otherness, I would say. Yes. And once you start with the self and you talk about your own feelings of otherness, I guess that's what connects right? And that's where you can make the connection, but then have the conversations to understand those more finer points, those other nuances of certain experiences that may be different than yours. So for instance, I'm considered a woman of color, but yes. my experiences will be different than what your experiences are right. as being a woman of your color, right? Right. Mm -hmm. 
even within being a black woman, my experiences will be different being a fair-skinned black woman than some of my darker-skinned sisters, right? And so it all could, you know, go one way, you know, or the other. It all has complexity to it. And I think that we need to have those conversations. I'm glad that you said that because I wanted to revisit what you said earlier about how when you first started, and I know you've written about this in, in the term neutrality, you were very neutral in your presence. You said that you wore yes. pants, you didn't want to wear a dress, and you kind of toned yourself down a little bit. Why did you do that? Because I wanted to be accepted, uh, because I was trained to do so. But what I tell people, and I'm very honest with white people, what most people go through in America is to fit in, is to be accepted. We are trained from birth. I mean, my parents trained me to be successful in the world. There were certain characteristics that I had to have and certain ways I had to blend. And it, it makes sense because all of us, every single human being, every single creature on this earth feels comfortable with people that make them, that are like them. They feel a place of familiarity. So it's not, a person is not racist if they see a group of people of color and they trend and they go there. It's not racist for a white man to walk over to another group of white men. It's not. It's, it is honestly, it's ingrained in us to do that, right? Mm -hmm. That is human nature. So what people do, minorities do, is they do everything, even unconsciously, to learn how to make themselves be a person with whom the majority culture is comfortable, right? right. And so we, we neutralize ourselves. We neutralize ourselves. So much so that when somebody wears something that represents their religion or somebody says that they were at a Black Lives Matter union, or somebody says I'm taking off for my this Jewish holiday. Right. It is almost seen as an act of defiance and boldness, this being who we are, because we've trained ourselves so much to be neutral and to blend, because we want to be successful. And we're trained that it's a choice between being all of whom you are, who you are, and being successful. We're trained that being professional is one thing and not the other, which right. is not true. Not true. Yes. Having been brought up in a South Asian Muslim family, you know, it was very much yes. that too, especially, you know, having moved to the U.S. And it was very much like, don't rock the boat. Just follow the rules. Right do what you're supposed to do well in school, get a good job, achieve, like don't stand out because we were already different. Right. And then the more I start thinking about it, then what is a responsibility that I hold to how I feel about feeling that like I can't be myself? What did I do to contribute to that? Because I do show up to work. I sound differently. I may look differently, you know, because I'm trying to fit in. And when I come home, I'm like, oh, I can be myself. But, you know, code switching. Can you can you speak a little bit more about that? I have the shirt that says too tired to code switch, which (laughs) is something that we've done because we want to be seen as professionals. So we are one way at work Mm -hmm. and then we're one way at home. We're one way with our friends and we're one way with our colleagues. And I find it I think it's exhausting for people. 
And we've been taught that, well, that's because you're being professional. And, and listen, we do have different vocabularies, styles of dress and everything when we are relaxing and casual, right? right. All people do. But there is a, a distinct code switch where minorities completely change themselves and hide who they are. I, I talk about, I'll never forget, I was negotiating a deal with Comcast. And I was in labor with my first child. I mean, hard labor. <laughs> and I was trying to close this deal before I had my first baby. It was really important to me. And I did not say on the phone, I am in labor. And I mean, it was hard. And I would, I would put my phone, you know, on mute. And I would, oh, and I, you know, because there was a bunch of conversation. And then I, you know, unmute the phone. And I felt that I needed to hide that I was having a baby. And it all of a sudden made me, being a mother, made me less professional, right? I mean, that's just an extreme of it. And I know a lot of women who hide don't discuss their home lives, right? Right. right? So men are more comfortable saying, I'm going to my son's baseball game. And women don't mention it as much right. because we feel like it suggests that we cannot be as successful or committed to our jobs, right? right? And so the, the code switch is, and the way that we hide ourselves is so severe sometimes because of fear, right? All, right. A lot, all of this is done because of fear and we want to be successful. So one of my side hustles is I'm a life coach. I'm a life coach for moms. And, and my shtick is that I, I want to help moms, women, but especially moms, feel comfortable in showing up into the world, in any world that they're in, either work, you know, their side hustle, their home, you know, feel comfortable showing up as their whole selves. So I had to practice that myself first, which was right. scary as hell after having it, my... It's so scary. Oh, my God. Like... I got laid off when I was pregnant, so I had to start in a brand new job in a brand new place as a brand new mother. Wow. And I was just like, how can I still seem like I know my shit, but still be a good mother to my seven-month-old at home? It was hard. And yes. the things that I had to practice were very hard, but now in my second job, I just felt more comfortable. I was just like, I am going to show up and see where it goes. And it's, and it's done way, I've been much more successful doing that than in my previous iterations of doing the code switch, right? But absolutely. So it's, it's easy enough for me to say to a woman, to a mother, like, just be confident in yourself, just go ahead and show up as yourself and, and you will do great. It's easy enough to say, and even though I've done it, but there's also a lot of factors that go into how that translates into success. Number one is environment. Like how accepting is that environment of you showing up? And you said that change comes when things get uncomfortable. Now, how, how can we get more people to be okay with being uncomfortable with themselves first to then make their environment uncomfortable so that change can happen? You know, I think sometimes it happens also with age cause, because you become too tired. I mean, it's tired. You know, you're exhausted <laughs> just being yourself, right? Um, being you is exhausting. So having to be somebody else is, 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 is tough. Like, I only have enough energy just to do this. So that helps. I can't. I don't even have it, right? And so it's like you're going to get what you get. This is it, right? 
I think that people are discovering that the people that everyone adores and are the people that are themselves, like you can't do anybody else better than you do you. Like that's the person that you're most perfect at, right? And then to this day, and I write a lot of raw things purposely. I put things out there sometimes that I don't even feel, but it's because I've had a discussion with someone and I'm the one who puts it in words, but I wanted to have, I want to have a conversation. I am still scared every single time I put something out there because every single time, but I do it anyway. And one thing someone told me years ago was you're not trying to win over everybody, which is nice. It's like, you really, if you got 0.00001% of that 1%, then you're good. And that's true, right? I'm not trying to be Walmart. I'm right. trying to be like that little local corner store and stay in business. That's what I, that was, those are my goals. <laughs> and, and the more people you see doing it, the more you feel comfortable doing it. So part of the reason I am bold and really try to be authentically me, which is sad that that has to be an effort sometimes, is because I hope it encourages other people to do it. I totally understand about feeling tired just from being me. Like sometimes I say to myself, like, just stop, please, just, just, just take a break <laughs> and go hide in some corner. I get on my own all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that you said that you still feel scared oh. when you put something vulnerable out there because to hear that from you who has put out so much vulnerability, it still shows that the process is still a scary process, no matter who does it. But absolutely. The first, do you remember the first piece of like vulnerable content that you put out into the world? Well, first it was just hard to put out content. You know, I did things the way that, you know, my mom and my parents raised me to do them. So I went to school, I got a lot of education, you know, check, 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 you know, VA check, master's check, PhD. Well, I didn't write my dissertation check, right? I was that person, right? So I knew, I know that formula. I know how to be successful in corporate America. I, it's, it's a formula, right? I, I, right? I know that. And I know that in the area of, a, you know, instruction and curriculum, I'm, that's, I got it, right? I'm very good at that. I'm not so great necessarily at me like who i am in my soul i mean i'm I, I wasn't taught to live it and embrace it if anything i was taught to hide it hmm. so just writing anything was scary because it was my thoughts i can write more technical works that i would get paid for but writing my opinion you know who the heck cares about my opinion <laughs> right like it was never it was something i had to believe in so the first piece was scary now, every piece I put out is scarier. Some are scarier than others. Like when I write about, I wrote like um, the rewriting of history or the rewriting of history, because I'm very honest about how we don't talk about things in a way that cr can create change. We've written history in order to make white people feel history, feel, feel comfortable with the history of, in America, right? And people think when I say that, that means I'm angry. And I'm not at all, I'm honestly not angry, right? But you have to deal with it in order to fix it and to change it. I wrote this piece and I like to use this analogy. I said, you know, what if you were the top person in oncology and worked in, with cancer, but your employer came to you at the hospital and said, 
listen, we want people to feel positive when they're here and happy. So from now on, you cannot use the word cancer. Just don't use it. It's a, it's a net. We're going to just not use it. And I said, how could you do your job, right? Because you can't even use the word cancer. They only want you to give positive news. So you can't, you know, use words like the death rate is this. This is the treatment plan that you should go. These are the outcome, the possible outcomes. You can't even say, tell the person you have cancer in this parts of your body. You're, you're trying so hard to make it positive and make the person happy that the person ends up dying, right? Because you can't mm -hmm. have real conversations. And, you know, I tell people we can't deal with things unless we have these real conversations and say, you know, this is what it is. It, it doesn't just go away. And we in America, we very much silence people when they tell the truth. You know, when, when people talk about, this is why I feel this way, or this is the harm I had. We want to believe that it's equal for everybody, and we all have, you know, an equal chance. And that's not the truth, right? And I'm not angry about that, because I have a better chance at things, because I was born to two parents that were educated, were college educated. So I had a greater chance, of course, statistically proven, to go to college. It doesn't, and that was a privilege I had. It doesn't mean I didn't deserve my degrees. It doesn't mean I didn't study. It doesn't mean that I didn't have the grades or do well on my SAT, but was my journey easier than some people's? It was, right? right. And so just talking about those things and being real about it. I think um, it's taking that example too of understanding kind of the leg up that you have in certain areas but still, like, understanding that just because I had this, it doesn't mean that I don't deserve or that I haven't worked hard otherwise, right? A lot of the conversation that women may have with each other, I know I've experienced this, like, you know, things like, oh, you have a nanny, you're so lucky. <laughs> it, yes, I'm, I'm grateful for that, but... Do you know I still have to work hard to be able to pay that salary? I'm, I'm a single mom, so that, that help is, you know, that other body is. So all those things. So when we hear something like that, I know I immediately go into a place of, uh, like, defense. Like, oh, no, but da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Right. When, in fact, I, I myself have to practice saying, I'm thankful for that. Yes. Yes. Well, you I know, I, I believe that a lot of people put us in the struggle Olympics, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know we want to prove like who has the greatest struggle and I'm like who started this crap like right. why do we try to prove who had it harder right okay right. you know it's, it is okay to just say it, and particularly it's like as women we feel as if someone's more admirable the more they're struggling and so or that we're struggling and we can't say well yeah you know what I do have a nanny Whew. yeah it is great it a child yes I could not yes because you know what that baby after a few hours is on my nerves. I, I'm glad I had it. And we have to make it where it's terrible for us and never can we celebrate. Like, you know what, that was great. Or he is great. Or that worked out well for me. It's like we applaud the struggle. And that's- Why? Another, Why? Um, what started all of this insanity? That's a really good question. It's something that uh, I write about um, with women. I try to say it is okay to be happy. I have noticed the remarks I've gotten on some things. Like, I travel, right? And right. people say, well, what, I mean, what's your man? What's your husband? You left him at home, and where are your kids? Or whatever. I'm like, they're at home with their daddy? The other, ha other parent? Or, yeah. you know, realizing that I have the right to be happy. 
is, I, I don't know where it started. I'm definitely yeah. doing my part to end it though. <laughs> I, I'm trying. So thank you. I'm learning. I will learn from you as well, because it's a, when I, the more I think about it, I, it makes me wonder, is it this, this place of scarcity that we have been conditioned to live from that there's only space for, for one woman at the table at work there we are in competition to be the best wives, the best homemakers that we can't be a community of the best. We need to really just have one, which in my mind goes against what our natural inclination as women, as females is that we are community builders, right? Where we bring naturally bring people along. So it's almost just like we're going against what we're naturally inclined to do when we participate in this kind of, this kind of behavior. So yes, it's interesting. I, I so about that a lot. Yeah. Scarcity is, I don't know if it affects that as much, but it definitely affects us. You know, when I was looking at the initiatives to help these small businesses in California mm-hmm. and how many are sole proprietorships and how many people refuse to work with other people. I do believe all of that comes from scarcity. Yes. So, Randy, I want to switch to diversity at home and mm-hmm. inclusivity at home, right? We always, um, we celebrate things like the differences or what is it that two, two different people, they complement each other. And it's great. It's romantic, you know, having a thug husband and a proper <laughs> wife, things like that. Yeah. It's great in the movies, but that can create some clashes at home, right? Because that comes with a different way of seeing life, of thinking, different definitions and things like that. So how do you think about diversity and inclusion at home? Well, I think in the long run is good. I think a lot of the reason that I am the person I am and believed in conversations is because my family is super diverse in every area. We have every race, I swear, represented. I mean, growing up every religion, every socioeconomics, whatever, and we would get together and we would have these huge kind of, I call them fights, but no, there were arguments, you know, vibrant arguments coming from all different sides. And, you know, it was just awesome. And I, I, I thought everyone talked that way. And so a lot of times I'll say things and people are like, oh, and I'm like, oh, that's right. Y'all don't talk about things. We're going to act like, you know. So, and then I married a man who's biracial, looks very black. I mean, there's nothing, looks black a hundred percent and was adopted by white parents. So that's been interesting. (laughs) We are, we do diversity over here. And so that's been very fascinating how that plays out and the conversations we have about culture and how it has, you know, how it affects things. And I tell him like his family is like, not just white, but Midwestern white. Right. And I, you know, he's, his parents, I would say, are the white people that white people talk about, like, dang, they're white. They're like, one of the bread white. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so my family that was boisterous and we talk about everything and we say everything. And culturally, that was definitely a culture that my family has. His family, I said, it's, it's like someone at my family dinner table passed gas. My family, you know, the jokes are going to come. There's going to be someone talking about the medical things. There's someone going to talk about, oh, Nessie, you're not eating right. That's a problem. La, la. There's going to be a whole conversation, right? And who did that? And it's going to be an issue. And mm-hmm. his family, no one could pass gas the entire dinner. Like the entire dinner, just be sick. And no one is going to mention it. And we're going to sit there quietly as if we're like not sick from this person. Like 
bombing the whole meal. And that is what they do. And I'm the you know, person who's sitting around like, are we just not going to mention that your sister is obviously having some gastro, some issues, and I can barely eat? Like, that's his family, right? <laughs> So that has been a challenge, I guess, sometimes in a way we raise our kids and everything, because I say whatever to the children, and I'm very upfront, and he just looks at me like, I cannot believe that you just said that, right? And, or, and I'll get mad at him sometimes, because I'm like, you're not going to say anything? Like, so we have the, those things. So diversity in the way we communicate and what we believe is right. Yeah, that alone is some stuff. It's so funny that you that you use the, the farting as an example because I feel like my family, we are all about farts. Like even my daughter. Now she understands that if I fart, mom is gonna laugh. But I did I do have a sister when she first got married, you know, in her in-laws, someone farted and she busted out laughing. And everyone looked at her like, What are you doing? And in her mind she was like, But at home we all laugh, like why aren't right. you laughing? So it's just so fascinating to hear about things like that. And so it is a human experience, right? To just be different and to deal with people that are different. Even people that may look like you in person, even on paper, like we are so complicated up here that, that any slight changes just makes it an interesting and unique experience. So am I, what we hear a lot is, Let's create a safe space for conversations. Mm -hmm. And everyone seems to understand what that means, but I, I don't. What does it mean to be safe, to have a, have a space that is safe for conversations? I think having a space for conversations means that you don't feel as if you will be attacked or in any way denigrated or held back in any way for your different opinion or for even voicing it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not what we see a lot of. You know, you frequently see, you know, at Facebook, people are getting fired. You know, we saw right. the huge scandal on Greatest Talent, America's Got Talent, you know, where Gabrielle Union was fired when she spoke out. I mean, you're seeing that when you share an opinion, if it's unpopular or makes people uncomfortable, people rebel and don't care for that, right? right. So it's like, can I share my experience and I still be respected? Right. So on my Facebook, Randy B's Facebook page, there's always 70,000 people. And we, people will tell you, I am always blocking, banning people from the page. Not always, but in the beginning, it was very frequent. Now it's not um, as much because people have learned she doesn't play. I was like, I don't get paid by followers. So all, everybody can go because <laughs> <laughs> while I will disagree with people for the most part, I really like hearing what people have to say. I'm fascinated mm -hmm. by it. I have worked with some of the most racist people in the world, some of the most sexist people in the world. But when they talk to me in a way that I can hear them and respect them because their experiences have made them who they are, I'm really okay. It's so much when you could just say, okay, I, hey, I feel you. You know, I'm not, I don't agree with you, but I feel you. I think it's, you know, the way somebody talks to a person is everything that's everything so can i feel safe in this environment i also feel as if um, i just now started a private community because i believe that and i can only speak for the black experience candidly i believe you know how they have like affinity groups 
Mm-hmm. I believe they have these groups because people want to be able to say whatever it is they want to say right. and not feel judged. And I, I feel as if so many people, particularly minorities, are so trained not to. And when we do, you know, we get certain things like, oh, you're angry or yeah, as a woman, you're whining or whatever. And so I'm really thinking that we need these affinity groups. And it's interesting to me when I say it, and it's for all women. People are like, that's right, women power. We need to build each other up. But if I'm like, oh, this is a group for black people, they're like, well, I don't understand. Uh-huh. Why are you leaving right. us out? And that's not fair. And I'm like, I feel that everyone should have places where they can just completely feel that they can stay and be safe. And even if people don't agree with them, it's still understood how they may feel a certain way. And I'm trying to create comfort and even in that. So yeah, we all need safe spaces. And I think what the majority culture doesn't understand is that they have it all the time. They're saying, why are you creating that? I mean, you know, because you have that. You could walk in places and you are the only one, or you can, you know, you could take vacations and be alone. I mean, almost, and it, yeah. it's already there, right? Right. So one, one component about safety is feeling, right? Having the person feel that. Now, I can't control how you feel, right? Just like you can't control how I feel. And I may show up to a conversation. I show up everywhere with my wounded inner child, just like everyone does, right? Everyone shows up with their baggage or whatnot. And so you never know what intentions and actions, right? I may have good intentions, but something may come out that may trigger something in the other person who has received what I heard. And then even though we thought we had the safe space, that can still happen. Feelings oh, yeah. can get hurt. And mm-hmm. so in those instances, do you have any, any sage advice on how we can continue to improve a safe space and work through issues like that while still remembering why we're here? You know, that was my entire, that's what my entire book, um, Never Safe, was about, was trying to give some practical advice about that. And the first thing I said is, you know, I go with the assumption that all people are good, right? That, mm-hmm. And then they all aren't, but I go with the expectation that the person with whom I'm speaking is good. And they certainly, even if you don't think they're good people, most people aren't intentionally trying to upset you because nobody wants to be in an argument or get reprimanded by HR or just deal with you. So I go in it with everybody is good, well-intended for the most part that you meet. But I also go into it knowing that all of us are uninformed, right? And I, I, say, I tell people, I've been in this field for a long time. I've traveled a lot of places. And there's, I don't know 99% of things out there about mm-hmm. other people, cultures. I, make, I say the wrong thing all the time. It's impossible. And most people grow up uh, in silos. Like you were raised with people like you in the same socioeconomic level. You played the same sports. You went to the same churches. And then you get thrown into the world and all of a sudden you must be around people who are different from you. So just off the bat, your vocabulary, you may feel no ill will against another person, but your vocabulary may be lacking. Your understanding is lacking. You are uninformed. And that's all of us, Mm -hmm. right? So we have to treat the world as a place where we're all constantly learning. I'm comfortable asking people, so what, what does that mean? Well, okay, help me understand what, what exactly is Passover to you? Because I don't want to, 
I have a friend who said to me, like, what do you want, Black or African-American? Because, you know, I'm always hearing people struggle with that. And right. I respected that she just came out and asked, right. what works for you, right? Most of the time, we're too scared to even ask the questions. We just end up offending people, right? And, you know, when I was growing up, first of all, I'm Southern and Black. We, no one talked about being gay, for instance. That didn't exist. As far as I was concerned, a gay person did not didn't exist in the world, which is insane, right? I went to a historically Black college and not a Black person, as far as you would have asked me, which is insane, again. And then gay marriage becomes legal. I moved to San Francisco. As a person who's been in DNI, did I have the vocabulary? Didn't. Was I so happy that People could love who they love and whoever wanted to get married could get married. I mean, overjoyed about it. Did, am I a person who every year goes to the gay pride parade? I do. But does that mean that I knew what I was going to call my two friends when they got married? I didn't. And so that doesn't mean I have bad intentions. It means I don't know. And so you have to ask and not say something stupid, right? And something that's offensive. And if I do, hopefully the person knows this person is not poorly intended. They don't mean any harm. You know, I spoke about my husband having white parents, you know, white grandparents, white everybody. And I just want to tell you, like, his grandmother was like a hundred and a billion. She was a billion when she, you know, passed away. (laughs) And she adored my husband, like adored him. But she was, you know, a hundred billion years old white woman from the Midwest. And some of the stories that she would tell were so like, oh, granny, don't say that. That's a very offensive phrase. Or that's a, but she didn't know. Did she love my husband? And do I, I, did she embrace and love me always? I just don't think she knew. I have an aunt who is from, I have a a dear friend friend named Gina Yee, who was Korean American and one of my best friends. And my aunt knew her as we were, you know, you know, in the event she would see her, and my aunt would say, now, where is that Oriental girl, Gina? Now, my aunt loves Gina. She, she's from Texas, like a tiny 50 person. She, doesn't, she did not mean it as an yeah. offense, but it is offensive, right? So right. there has to be this space where Gina is open and says, she doesn't know, let me educate her. And there has to be a space where my aunt is like, Gina's not trying to check me. She's trying, there's things I don't know, so I'm willing to learn, right? Right. So there's that space where people, I feel like most part need to get to. And then there are the the jerks and the assholes. They exist, but I don't think it's most people. And I think that it's about creating that space where we both are like, I'm trying to learn and trying to understand and help me get why, help educate me, because I don't know. I can't know. And it seems like people are more scared of admitting that they don't know than they are of anything else. Yes, it makes them uncomfortable. So yeah. my next question, are there, just like going to the gym, we, we do push-ups to get like bigger arms, bigger chest. Are there any exercises that we can do to build our muscle for discomfort? What can we do to feel more comfortable about being uncomfortable? I think pushing your boundaries. I think expanding your friend circle, expanding places you go, not staying in your box. Um, I tell people, well, I guess my brain is designed that way. I'm always trying to 
see the opposite. I mean, I end up upsetting my own daggone self, you know, like I used to go online every day and read Fox News, for instance, because that typically represents an opinion that is very different from my own. But it was always, I always like to see what, how the other person is seeing things. And for some reason, right. I like that. And it does make me uncomfortable and angry. Mm. <laughs> but I think it's good to do, but just little ways, just trying to expand yourself. So funny you brought that up because I used to do that too before this whole coronavirus thing because the news is just like crazy now. But I used to allow myself to watch Fox News for like 15, 20 minutes at a time just to understand the other perspective. Mm -hmm. And then when I would get too angry, I would stop. But it was, that, was, that was my exercise in being uncomfortable. But even like when I, when I think about what little things I can do at home, you know, it's because I'm still as self-aware as I think I am, as outer aware as I think I am. There's still, there's still gaps in, oh, yeah. in my knowledge and what I know and my experiences. And it's still, it's still scary for me to ask someone, how do I address you or how, what makes you angry? So it, I always think of ways. <laughs> and it was just the other day, I was like, maybe what if I start with doing things that scare me? Like stay in the dark room for a minute longer than I would naturally feel comfortable doing just to feel more brave. Because if I can feel brave in those small things, maybe I can start feeling braver in the bigger things. And that is an exercise that I think so many people could benefit from pushing your boundaries, like you said. Number one is understanding what your boundaries are, right? Understanding right. what those are. Talking to people helps you to discover them. But also being open. Like I know, I think the biggest boundary for me is that I'm always trying to break through is, you know, I am associating with a 17 and 19 year old all the time, right? And so I am, and I respect who they are and I'm always right. asking questions. And then always having to explain to them, well, I don't know, understand, you know, I didn't even have a laptop or computer when I was in college. Help me, I was in the Dewey Decimal System, right? <laughs> so, so I'm always seeking different opinions and viewpoints and perspectives and how they see things is interesting to me, you know, but there's, you know, there's great age diversity in this home. I don't think we tap into things like that because everyone has, like your daughter has her perspective on things and to just not assuming that yours is right, but just different. Mm -hmm. Right. So I know I started this conversation with the question is diversity and inclusion just for black people. And I did that because in the corporate world, one would think that, right? But what I'm seeing is that it is a showcase of different, what has been the other now needs to be part of the norm. And I, I see the importance of that in the workplace and in the discussion that we had, the importance of it at home, because that shows up in, at home, not just with the people we're sharing the homes with, our partners, our children, you know, various ages, and then our families, but even people that we invite into our homes, right? Either yeah. caretakers or friends and whatnot. So, Brandy, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Julie. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Story in a Chat with me, your host, Aisha Iqbal. Before signing off, I want to take a moment to reflect on this conversation and bring it back to my everyday. We are experiencing life during an incredible time right now, yet I continue to get reminded 
that some critical things haven't really evolved the way they should have. So how do I help my daughter prepare for life in a world that may not be that different when she's older? Perhaps I'll start by showing gratitude for the small things in life, like being able to jog freely in my neighborhood without being shot and killed, or being thankful to be able to come into our own home without having a stranger barge in claiming it's not mine, then being shot and killed. Because right now, there are too many people in this country who aren't able to do these simple things without being shot and killed. When I asked Randy the ridiculous question of, is diversity and inclusion just for the benefit of Black people? She replied, no. But thinking about that question some more now, after hearing yet another case of a Black person being gunned down for just living life, I believe that it should be. For some reason, there are too many people in this country who just don't see Black people as humans who deserve humanity. I am angry, which is a good start because at least it shows that I understand that what is happening is wrong, but I need to do more. I want my daughter to grow up knowing that she is living in a world with other human beings and we are all connected and our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Thank you, MLK, for that reminder. I'm also reminded of the time during the aftermath of 9-11. I remember the stories of white people yelling at groups of Hindus and Sikhs, calling them terrorists and telling them to go back where they came from. I remember that some of the people being attacked had yelled back, but I'm not Muslim. I remember illustrations starting to pop up in magazines showing the differences in turban styles between Muslims and Sikhs in an effort to educate the hate-filled white people, showing them that they were targeting the wrong groups with their anger. I remember thinking that it didn't matter because those hate-filled people just needed a reason to let their poison out on anyone that was different from their view of the ideal. I also remember thinking that the people who were hiding behind their non-Muslimness were chicken shit and should have stood up against the hatred. But I'm wiser now and more fully understand that fear makes us go into self-preservation mode. That's why I want to become more comfortable with the uncomfortable so that the next time I'm confronted with something scary, I will be courageous enough to do what is right. Please tune in next time when I continue to explore this wonderful world of ours through the art of storytelling and discourse with other magnificent human beings. Until then, keep your mind clear and your heart open so you can hear your own truth. Also, if you enjoyed any part of this conversation, please consider writing a review saying as much and share this out as a gift to others in your circle. Toodles! Toodles!